Welcome to the Anti-Woke Podcast. Short definition of woke is bigoted against straights, racist against whites, and sexist against males. And this is a civil rights podcast, fighting against all forms of discrimination against all types of people. Let's get into it. People have been talking about how young women are going to the left and young men ain't. And it's in America, it's in other countries too. And it seems to coincide with social media slash smartphone, like roughly the last 10 years. And there's a question, is it young women who are going, you know, progressive, liberal to the left? Or is it single women? Because it's hard to disentangle those two things when young men and young women are no longer getting married, to each other at least. So let's run through a possible explanation, grossly exaggerated. Immigrants move to a country, the price of housing shoots through the roof as everyone competes over the supply of housing. Women don't want to marry a man who can't afford to buy a house. So the women stay single and they end up going far to the left on politics. I'm going to play a clip from the New York Times here at some point. One of the things they said was that men watch YouTube, women watch TikTok. I'd like to be like, well, there's your problem and compare women to myself. But of course, not your average man is not watching how to fix diesel equipment, graduate degree in economics stuff, plus criticism of Walt Disney Company. But let's try and describe some graphs. That always works great. So 20 years ago, this is young men and young women, I guess ages 18 to 29. Anyways, just young men and young women. Over the last 20 years, men have stayed the same amount liberal and women have become much more liberal. So they both started at about 25%. And now today, men are still 25% liberal, but women are now about half liberal. So half is 50%. So if you do a little bit of math, so if you say women are 50% liberal and men are 25% liberal, then that's a 25% gap. Women are 25% more liberal. Now let's look at what's happened in the last 10 years in various countries. So in the United Kingdom, 10 years ago, young men and young women were the same amount liberal. Today, women are 20% more. In Germany 10 years ago, women were maybe 10% more liberal. Now they're 30% more liberal. And in South Korea, 10 years ago, men and women were the, were the same. Now women are 50% more liberal. So the women in South Korea have become quite a bit more liberal. The men in South Korea have become much more conservative. And in fact, in a lot of those countries, the men have gotten a little more conservative while the women have shot more liberal. And in America, 10 years ago, women were maybe 10% more liberal. Now they're 30 or 30% more liberal. So that's a lot of numbers. But to summarize, in the last 10 years, women are leaving men in the dust when it comes to going off and becoming a lefty. And I think what part of this is caused by is that women, two-thirds of women, think that feelings are more important than the truth. And then... It's the opposite for men. They think two, 
two-thirds of men think the truth is more important. Donald Trump didn't start any wars and the economy was pretty good under him for four years and nothing crazy happened? Well, that doesn't mean shit. That's the truth. Who cares about that? What's important is how I feel about those four years of Donald Trump. And the way I feel was, it was worse than Hitler. I mean, not to say that there ain't a bunch of men out there that feel that same way. But let's cherry pick a New York Times podcast clip here of a woman describing why she thinks this is happening and a man describing it. So things to look out for in this clip are which things that they say are statements of their feelings or statements of the truth. And more than that, which of the statements apply to this divide that has happened in the last 10 years and didn't happen before then? Exactly right. And I think, you know, it's worth dwelling for a moment on how recent a lot of the changes to women's lives in the United States in particular are. I mean, we're just barely a century removed from the passage of the 19th Amendment, which gave women the right to vote. Women needed permission from their husbands to open a bank account. It really wasn't until 1974, which is the year before I was born, that women were guaranteed the ability to open a bank account without their husband's permission. Marital rape was only made illegal nationwide in 1993. That was my first year of college. Wow. So, you know, the idea that, like, women's bodies were the property of their husband and they could do with them what they would, um, you know, that has only fairly recently been banished. And, you know, look, one, look, one of the best definitions of conservatism is, like, a kind of backward-looking politics, right? I mean, let's return. Let's go back. Let's... And women look back and they're like, I don't want that. That's not like I don't wearing to. So that's my sort of grand analysis and theory. Ross, go. No, I mean, I, I think to some degree I agree. Certainly the scale of economic independence that young women experience today has no parallel in really in human history as, as far as we can tell. So you would expect that to change dating norms and romantic norms in, in ways that then interact with people's political perspectives. I think the more specific you get to American politics, the harder it is to explain the global trend. So the fall of Roe happens in 2022. But if you're looking at the chart on the ideology gap in South Korea or Germany, the big inflection point is really somewhere in the mid-2010s. But I think you have sort of deep structural forces, the economic empowerment of women being an incredibly important one. But then you have something, and I think internet life and internet culture has to play some really important role here because Always. like a lot of things changed clearly in the 2010s you know sort of changes in mental health changes in our politics both trumpism and the great awakening happened sort of in that period that's why i found the tiktok versus youtube thing really interesting there there's something there about the way the sex has experienced digital life that has to be encouraging alienation from one another so I cut out a whole bunch of what that lady was saying. Most of it was about the distant past. In her defense, she did finally get to Me Too and the recent overturning of Roe v. Wade. But I kind of have to give credit to that New York Times guy. In not so many words, he said, The internet, social media, has broken women's brains. Well, girls' brains. Going forward in my podcast, can I just say... Well, we all know that social media breaks a girl's brain. You know, not all, not all, caveat, caveat. 
trans women should be able to live fulfilling lives, blah, blah. But basically, if you ask young women and teens, yeah, teens, if you ask girls and young women, they will tell you that since social media came around, they are, according to themselves, mentally ill, super far to the left, and some sort of queer. At least in America, it's all three of those things. In other countries, it's one or more of those things. I guess I can't prove it just yet, so going forward, I'll just say, I have a little theory. Social media broke girls' and young women's brains. It makes me think of Ben Shapiro's famous quote, which is, facts don't care about your feelings. Sounds like that's another way of saying men don't care about women's feelings. But remember, men, when a woman starts telling you about her feelings, do not offer her a solution to her problem. Just say that you hear her feelings, and that must be difficult. And I listened to that clip after I just said what you heard me say, and that's exactly what that New York Times man does. He's like, I hear your feelings. Yeah, you know, things have changed over the millennia, and boy, that's, that must be difficult. Harvard University is in hot water again. It turns out their chief diversity officer is also a mega plagiarist. And she's a black woman, just like the Harvard president who got fired for plagiarism the other week. And a number of other Harvard professors got busted for various malfeasance this week. People are looking into the Harvard professors, and apparently they're not that good. It's not all diversity hires. Well, it's not all black women. But I think, you know, fancy universities all across America have shoddy work and plagiarism and all sorts of stuff. It just depends if you look into it. And people are looking into Harvard pretty hard right now. And Harvard is controlled by two boards. Normally a university only has one, but Harvard has a 12-person board and a 30-person board. And the 12-person board, that's the powerful one. That's the one that chooses the diversity hires, for instance. Um... How do you get on to that board? I looked it up. The board selects people to be on the board. So you can't go over their head, unfortunately. I'm not sure where the leverage points are. But the other board that has less power has 30 people on it, and I think it's elected by alumni, and I think the elections, like, happened this week. And I think Mr. Ackman, who was the guy who took down the Harvard president, he's like a billionaire... Jewish guy. Um, I think he put three people forward to be on the 30-person board. And Mark Zuckerberg, who is interested in Jewish stuff, he put someone forward to be on the board, that weaker 30-person board. So there's really quite a bit of pressure on Harvard. We'll see how it goes. All right, I'm back through the magic of podcasting and all the anti-anti-Semitic anti-DEI, people who are going to be put on the Harvard board number two, they all lost. Or actually, they didn't even get on the ballot. But it sounds like five people are selected for the 30-person board each year. So try again next year. And I think they didn't have enough time to get ready for this election and see if people still care about DEI and anti-Semitic stuff next year. And speaking of pressure on 
governance boards, I went and looked up Bud Light's stock price and Target's stock price. Those were the two companies that I could remember as being part of conservative boycotts. And both of them, their stock price went down for six months and it has since come back up pretty much where it would have been anyways. Which, I mean, you know, maybe it'd be nice to put them out of business. I'm going to say that's a win. Like, there ain't no CEO who wants their stock price to crash for six months. I mean, if you're not in a good situation, a six-month stock price crash is plenty of time for you to lose your job. So I think conservatives made their point, and I think the point will be taken. Maybe even well taken. Oh, those right-wingers and their conspiracy theories. So a lot of media outlets have been talking about the super-evil racist conspiracy theory that Taylor Swift, who's dating a football player, Joe Biden is going to make his team win the Super Bowl so that she can endorse Biden at halftime. Which, I don't think that's true, but it's fun. I mean, that's a fun one. And Vivek Ramaswamy, I don't think he started it, but he was kind of the famous person to start it. Um... He said a toned-down version of that. He's like, ah, oh, this is, you know, this is way out there and probably not true, but something about Taylor Swift, Super Bowl, Biden endorsement. And in fact, I think what Vivek did is genius. I think Taylor Swift is a Biden supporter. She's not like a vocal one. But there's a picture of her, like, baking some Biden 2020 cookies that I think is a real picture. There was a bunch of deep fake AI Taylor Swift porn that was a story this past week that I'm not going to go into other than to say deep fakes have gotten a lot better. Go look it up for yourself. But I think her and her Biden cookies, that was a real picture. Basically, if she endorsed Biden, that probably would help Biden. But now that people are like, it's a conspiracy theory about you endorsing Biden, I think she might keep her mouth shut. And be like, oh, you endorsed Biden at your concert, not at the Super Bowl. See, the conspiracy theory was fake. Oh, no, we brought up the conspiracy theory, so you changed it from the Super Bowl to your concert, etc. And then Snoop Dogg said, I think he said it this week, said it recently, that he has nothing but love and respect for Donald Trump. He said it in an interview to a British magazine, so it's not like an endorsement. There's no video to go with it. But it makes me think, like, Eminem came out against Trump and, I don't know, like, all these rappers who are supposed to be badass. I mean, Eminem and Snoop Dogg are, like, older than me, probably. But I'm going to cuss here. But, like, you know, you're a rapper. You're badass. Like, you don't give a damn about nothing. You'll murder a person just for looking at you. All you do all day is fuck bitches and slap hoes. But you don't have the balls to be a Trump supporter. And I guess Snoop Dogg used to hate Trump, but when Trump was pardoning people on, you know, the the very end of his four-year period, um, he pardoned Harry O, who was one of the founders of Death Row Records, which is where Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg came from. So I just think rappers, they're leaving money on the table. You can endorse Trump, Boom, you'll get into the news and make yourself famous. You can talk about Trump in a rap song. People will be talking about that song and downloading that song. I mean, just just free money. I mean, you know, once again, I got to cuss. You know, here, here you go. I'm going to write the song for you. I murdered a bitch and then I voted for Trump. 
I mean, boom, you're going to be kicked off all the social media platforms and the song will go instantly to number one. And then back to reality, the anti-woke podcast official policy is no murdering of bitches. And then nowhere near as cool as that, but Ben Shapiro had a number one rap song this week. That's like the super short Jewish right-wing pundit. He got together with Tom McDonald, who's like a white anti-woke rapper, who I must say can't rap. He's probably not good at basketball either. Kind of has a bargain basement limp biscuit vibe. Anyways, I think they were number one for six days in a row on the rap charts or something. I mean, I'll tell you, right-wingers never get songs. So, I mean, they'll take anything. Instant hits. Thinking more about this I voted for Trump rap song. Then, like, Trump wins the election with a, with a larger-than-expected percentage of the black vote, and then you get blamed for getting Trump elected? Like, you're going to go down in the history books. The media is continuing to cover the border crisis. A group of migrants attacked a couple NYPD officers, and it was caught on camera. And the right-wing media was all over it. They were like, migrants attack police officers. And so I watched NBC Nightly News to see if they would cover it, and they did, not the first day. They were like, seven men attacked two police officers. They talked about it a long time. They showed the video. I think that's why they wouldn't, you know, you don't pass up a fun video like that. And at the end of this end of the segment, they were like, and the people were migrants. So I wonder if migrants committing crimes might be the crime du jour for a bit. In NBC Nightly News, they like to I think they, you know, they give themselves the okay to do a black or brown crime as long as they got some white crime. And there's an ongoing trial of one of the white school shooters, Mom. I think the mom took the stand this week. Turned out she was having an, an affair. So maybe that's why she didn't pay attention enough to her son. I don't know. I haven't been following it too much other than I noticed the nightly news covers it, I think, almost every night this week. And the Texas versus the federal government, like the actual versus part, nothing's changed. The Supreme Court said the feds can take down the razor wire if they want. And the Texas can put up more razor wire if they want. And the feds haven't taken anything down. There's no conflict. I think they don't want to talk about it. So they probably won't be running around taking it down. Basically, Republicans want to talk about it. Biden don't. And there's this thing I'm noticing, it's going on in everything, like the border crisis, Israel-Hamas, etc. It's like everyone, you know, all these battles, the only way you're going to win is if the opponent screws up. There's got to be a word for that. It's not negative partisanship where what people care about is who they hate, not who they love. Maybe it's playing defense. I don't know, prov provoking an overreaction. So, basically, both sides are trying to provoke overreactions on the border. It's how far can you go without ever going too far, and how long can you do it until the other side screws up. So, I think last week, 20-plus Republican governors said that they supported Texas in trying to close the border. 
even though really it's a federal government has jurisdiction thing. And then I heard maybe 10 states have actually sent people there to help. I haven't heard a good breakdown on that. Um, Ron DeSantis in Florida are sending or have sent maybe a thousand Florida State Guard members. And so that's where it's getting interesting because I'm learning something. Let's learn together. So the governors all have their own little National Guard. But you can see that word in the title right there, National. If Texas wants to start a civil war, the National Guard is not going to be on their side. And I guess the term is federalize. So the governor gets to control the National Guard unless the president decides to federalize them. And he can do that if he wants. But then it turns out there's also state guards. Sometimes they're called defense forces. It depends on the state. And those cannot be federalized. I think the federal government pays for the National Guard. So if you're a governor, you want to use the National Guard for everything because it's free. It's free to you. But so maybe Joe Biden would be screwing up if it gets to the point where he has to federalize the National Guard. Like, you know, what would the public think? What would the media... I mean, the lying-ass media would lie, but how would the public perceive it if he's like, uh, you can't be using the National Guard to close the border. I'm taking them away from you. And possibly, you know, then you read between the lines because I'm trying to enforce open borders. I mean, that will be the argument the Republicans make. And it all just depends on what you can make stick. So that's just a media cycle. But if your state guard is standing on the border and... You know, you might have you might have some loose cannons in your state guard. And you might have some loose cannons on the federal side. And, I mean, I doubt they would shoot at each other, but they, you know, they might get in each other's faces, stern looks, loud words. Basically, I'm waiting to see, will federal forces and state guard forces, will they ever, like, you know, how close will they get? Will they get within 100 feet of each other? I'm waiting to see if that kind of thing happens. And so maybe 20, 25 states have their own defense forces, state guards. I mean, it's not all red states. California has their own, for instance. Let's just read a little bit from the internet about the Florida one. The Florida State Guard is the state defense force of the U.S. state of Florida. The FSG was created in 1941 to serve as a stateside replacement for the Florida National Guard, while the National Guard was deployed abroad during World War II. So the, the Florida State Guard has been active in the years 1941 to 1947, and then 2022 until today. And it has 1,500 members. And I think the state of Florida set aside $10 million to create them. So, And I think the... Federal government's defense budget is a trillion, so let's see, ten, hundred, billion, ten billion, hundred billion, trillion. I think you'd have to add five zeros to their budget to get up to the Fed size. But maybe they can be used to make Trump win the election. And this is all happening late in the week. Next week, we'll see what really happens. 
And let's learn about federalizing the National Guard. So reading from the internet. Presidents have only invoked the act to federalize National Guard troops as a last resort. That was the case in 1957 when President Dwight D. Eisenhower mobilized the Arkansas National Guard to enforce a Supreme Court ruling on desegregation. Basically, we're looking at what kind of civil war can we get going? Like, for reals. I mean, the answer is probably no civil war at all, but it's still fun to look at. So I recently said that the word insurrection was in the 14th Amendment, and that's the one where they're trying to take Trump off the ballot. And it was a law that was passed in response to the uh, Civil War, 1860s. And that was the only place in the Constitution where I knew about the word insurrection. But this week I learned the word insurrection is in the Constitution in another place. So there's something called the Insurrection Act. Well, maybe this is a law, not in the Constitution. Anyways, according to the Internet... Originally enacted in 1792, the law grants the president the authority to deploy the U.S. military domestically and use it against Americans under certain conditions. Well, whatever I was reading there, that was, you know, that was someone who doesn't like the Insurrection Act when they phrase it, use it against Americans. I'm sure if you like it, you'd say use it to help Americans. But either way, there seems to be a law called the Insurrection Act... And the president can say any time he wants, for any reason he wants, that there's an insurrection and therefore he can use the military within the U.S. against citizens, which normally you can't do. And I guess, I mean, I don't think, people don't talk about this law normally, but the people who do talk about it over the, you know, until now, have been like, we need to change this law, so maybe the president has to ask Congress before it can before he can do the Insurrection Act, or he has to go to the Supreme Court before he can do the Insurrection Act. We need to change that law. So it isn't just up to the president whenever he wants. But anyways, we haven't changed the law, and I guess it's up to the president whenever he wants to do the Insurrection Law, or Act. But again, this is like, you know, Trump would love if Biden started using the Insurrection Act to use the military to attack U.S. citizens. I mean, that would make Trump guaranteed to win. So Biden is not going to want to use that thing. But I was going to say this is just for fun, but actually let's get a little more serious. I guess if you would ask people on the left whether or not Biden could have used the... Or was it Trump? Or I guess Trump was in charge. Anyways, the president could have used the Insurrection Act to send in the U.S. Army on January 6th. I mean, it's obviously a, you ask for forgiveness, not permission. But if you think that it's okay to take Trump off the ballot, then I guess you would say that it would also would have been okay to send in the Army for January 6th. And then I guess you would, have, you would hear me say, well, if it's okay to send in the Army on January 6th, then... It would have been okay to send in the army against the Black Lives Matter riots, or at least some of them. The ones where the rioters were attacking federal courthouses, like they did a hundred times in Portland, or burning down police stations like they did in Minneapolis. Basically, there's a pretty fat law just sitting there for whichever president has the 
whatever to use it. Did you fill in the right word for whatever there? It was balls. Or if you recently came into the country because of Uncle Joe, cojones. And we're starting to learn a little bit more about the immigration reform bill that they're working on in the Senate to try and get you know the border crisis off the table so that Biden can win. Now, I've been mentioning how Republican politicians are evil, but let's go over the whole situation as a reminder. So, Republican politicians are evil. Republican voters are good. Democratic politicians are half evil, half good. I don't mean each one is half and half. Some of them are evil, some of them are good. And then Democratic voters are half evil, half good. So both parties are split, it's just different ways. And when I say evil and good, I just mean evil means you want to hurt the general public, and good means you want to help them. And I was talking to my woke buddy, or well, email, so they passed a tax cut this week, and Democrats and Republicans all got together and said, we agree. A few of the so-called far-left and far-right Republicans and, Dem and Democrats in the House voted against it, but basically, both sides said, pass it. And it's a corporate tax cut, but it also has a child tax credit, partially refundable, blah, blah, blah. Don't care about that. But here's what I said to my woke buddy. I said, that tax cut that Biden is signing, you can tell that it's evil because Republican politicians supported it. That's basically all you need to know. And so the bipartisan immigration reform deal that they're working on in the Senate, you know that it's evil because Republican politicians are helping to craft it. And the number one guy who's working on it is Republican senator from Oklahoma. He just got reelected in 2022, so he doesn't have to run for four more years. So basically, he's like, I can do whatever the hell I want. Hopefully, people will have forgotten by then. You know, I can be the open borders, Republican. And reminder, Republican politicians, all they care about is giving money to the rich and screwing over the working poor and the working class in particular, which the best way to screw those over is open borders. And so that's why Republican politicians, the voters don't like open borders, and that's why they say... I'm against open borders, and then they always, you know, their actual actions go to keep the borders open. And I guess the, the politicians in Oklahoma have censured the senator. So, you know, back in Oklahoma, they're not happy with this guy. Last name, Lankford. But we've got some numbers. So it sounds like, okay, so there's the asylum thing. I guess the mag magical words are credible fear. So if you, you cross the border and you find yourself a border patrol agent and you say, I have a credible fear of whatever, of stuff back in my home country, and then that means you are now in the asylum system, which means you get to live in America forever. It's left over from World War II because I guess we didn't let Jews in, so we created the asylum system. And the system is supposed to be like, oh, are you a Jew who's going to be killed by the Nazis? You get to come in. Oh, you are just live in a country that's poorer than America? You stay out. But anyways, the way it works is you get to come in.
Republicans and Democrats all agree do not change the way the system is actually working, regardless of the rules. Keep the system the way it is, where it's overwhelmed and everyone gets in. But so the numbers. If 4,000 migrants a week are showing up to the Border Patrol asking for asylum, then the president, if he wants, can ignore the asylum rules and start sending people back. So 4,000 a week, uh, 200,000 a year. And the president decides. So obviously Biden would be like, oh, well, I decide to let them all in. But this would mean that if, you know, if Trump becomes president, he could use that like, oh, at 200,000, he can start sending people back. And I guess just depending on Republican or Democrat president, you'd, you know, you'd use that 200,000 threshold to keep him or send him back. And this is not counting people who just sneak in. We'll get to that in a second. But the other number is 5,000 a day. So that's like 1.8 million. Call it 2 million. So at 2 million a year, the president no longer gets to decide. Supposedly, the president has to start sending everyone back. After 2 million, can't come in. people can't come in. So that would be Biden. Basically, Biden would be like, okay, well, 2 million people get to come in under the asylum rules. And then what you do is you say... Everyone else has to sneak in. Like the old days, you know, illegal immigrants used to sneak in. And I think lately, maybe like a million people sneak in. I think maybe four million or let have come in under asylum in the past year. I mean, basically, let's say, so that's five million people. If five million people want to come in and you go, okay, four million can come in under asylum, then... 5 million minus 4 million leaves 1 million. It's like, okay, 1 million of you have to sneak in. So I think that means with, this, with the new rules, it'd be like, okay, 2 million of you can come in under asylum. Well, 5 million minus 2 million means 3 million of you have to sneak in. Same number of people, just different routes in. And now I used to think this was a stupid thing, but apparently it's not a stupid thing. It's what you have to do. But if you don't want people to sneak in, you have to build a wall. So you could do, you know, 4,000 a week and then the president can decide if he wants to use that to uh, close the border. And then you could have 5,000 a day and now it's out of, your, out of the president's hands and only 2 million get in per year. But then you would need a wall to go with those things. Otherwise, those numbers are kind of meaningless. And anyways, the Senate, there ain't no wall. There ain't no wall. There's just... I think this bill, all it has is the 4,000 number, the 5,000 number, but it doesn't have the wall. And so, I think there is going to be a deal. The question is, how long do you hold out and how much you, can you get? I mean, Republican politicians don't actually want to stop the immigration, but they also don't want to get primaried in the next election. So, they, I think they will do something to slow down the amount. And like, I don't know, like Denver, Colorado is in the news this week because they've got giant tent cities of immigrants like out in the 40 mile an hour freezing cold whipping winds i mean everyone is starting to have second thoughts even the rich people who want to undercut wages and so there's this thing like joe biden has given more money to the rich than any president ever by far 
And the reason why he could do that is because he's a nice, cuddly Democrat where people think he would never give money to the rich. And so if you want to get tight, if you want to tighten border stuff, you need, to, you need a nice, cuddly Democrat again. Like Democrats are not going to vote to tighten the border when Trump is president. And so that makes the whole thing a sticky wicket. Exactly what is all you can get. At some point, you can't get no more. And just having Trump be president, you're probably not going to get a whole bunch more then either. I mean, Trump may be able... Trump will, will run the border differently, but as far as the law goes, under Biden is the chance to change it. And then Advisory Opinions Podcast, legal podcast, love them. But the other day, they were like, it's not Biden's fault. The law says he has to let them all in. There's nothing he can do. And, I don't know, there's Sarah and David are the hosts. And David has, he's a never-Trumper. He's deranged, so I don't care about him. But Sarah is my favorite pundit. And she's like, yeah, it's not Biden's fault. There's nothing he can do. I'm like, what the hell, Sarah? But anyways, in the next episode, you know, a whole bunch of people wrote in and were like, what the hell, Sarah? Sarah Isker. And the question was, what about the remain in Mexico policy? Like, you know, sure, the asylum laws are on the books. You can't get around it. I mean, the Trump administration tried to get around it. The courts will slap that down. But if you have to wait in Mexico while the asylum thing is processed, you may as well not even try. Like, you know, oh, it takes it takes 100 years to process you. You can live in America and wait, a, I'm exaggerating, and live 100 years and then, you know, whatever. Your great-grandkids will be living here and it will never affect you. Or you can stay in Mexico for 100 years and it's like, oh, well, don't even try. This is more what I think David's excuse, but Sarah's a little bit too. Is apparently the Ninth Court of Appeals, that's the California one, the circuit court right below the Supreme Court, they ruled that Remain in Mexico is illegal. You gotta let them hang out in America. However many years it takes. Basically open borders. So basically, the current law, the latest court case, the highest court case, says open borders is the law. But that doesn't mean much because that just means if you want to, which Biden doesn't want to, you, have to, you just take it to the Supreme Court. And then we don't know what they would say. The Supreme Court might say open borders is the law, or they might say, no, it's not. But president's hands are not tied. Biden's, you know, Biden could be doing something. I think he, he doesn't want to ask the Supreme Court. He would take it to the Supreme Court if he thought the Supreme Court would say, oh, yeah, open borders is the law. He knows that they, will, that they won't say that. They'll say, no, you can close the border down. So he doesn't take it to the Supreme Court. I had a couple interactions on Spotify this week. The question was, what's pissing you off this week? Chopper22 replied, The border, man. Anytime immigrants drive trucks, it fucks with our wages. The bastards can't drive anyway. People are gonna get killed. Anyone can drive these BS automatic transmissions they give them. Well, thanks for the comment, Chopper22. When you add workers, it drives down wages. I wonder what size truck you're talking about with automatic transmissions. You're not talking about the full-size, full-on semis, are you? And then I lost the name for this comment. I think it was Eric. But they said, 
I followed your lead recently and told a center-right corporate male client that straight women who out-earn their husbands don't respect them. He replied, you can't say that. Who's wrong on this? Well, you're both right. You can't say that. And women do not like men who earn less than them. It's a problem in particular in the African-American community where tall, handsome, confident black men don't make enough money for the black women who have better jobs and more education. But I think, you know, it happens to men of all races who sit around playing video games while the women go off to college. And I believe that's all true. I spent about two minutes looking for data to back it up. Two minutes was not long enough, but I did find something. So from the internet, 90% of women preferred having a romantic relationship with a man who earned his money, while only 5% wanted to establish a romantic relationship with a man who inherited his money. For one night stands, less than 60% of women wanted their partner to have earned his money, and only 40% of women wanted a man who inherited his money. So basically... Earning your money is better than inheriting your money. But either way, they want you to have money. And if you're marriage material, they want you to earn it, basically have a good job. And if it's a one-night stand, it's less important. You know, just wherever you got your money, you know, pay for that dinner. And yes, I do want fries with that. And the number one way that people get turned on to podcasts is from friends and family telling them about it. So please tell someone about this pod. Maybe you're not sure who to tell. This week, let's focus on attractive women and tall men. That way, if they start listening, and then they go and tell their friends, those people will listen just to try and get into their pants, even if they don't like my podcast. So the economy seems to be doing better. Like, the lion-ass media has been saying the economy's been doing good for a year or something. But it looks like the American public believes the economy is doing good. They started thinking that maybe a month and a half ago. So with presidential elections, it's the economy, stupid, maybe. And so with the betting markets, they were predicting Trump was going to win. I mean, just he was just a little bit ahead. Now they got Biden a little bit ahead. And I think it's because of the economy or feeling, people's feelings about the economy. So let's run through the betting markets. Biden 48, Trump 45, Gavin Newsom 7, Nikki Haley 6, RFK Jr. 5. So, Biden 48, Trump 45. And then Trump's vice president. This goes from 23 on down to 14. So the top four people. It's Elise Stefanik, Christy Nome, Tim Scott, and Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, I would say Ramaswamy at 14, that's, that's a pretty good chance. I mean, who knows what Trump's really going to do. This week's Uncomfortable Conversations podcast is talking about free speech in America, but also in Germany. So there was this old-school lefty American who didn't want to live in an America that had George W. Bush as a president. So he actually left, and he moved to Germany. And I guess Germany was pretty hardcore about forcing people to take the jab. 
And this guy thought that was a capitalist, neoliberal conspiracy to, you know, control the proletariat. So I think he wrote a book and the picture on the cover was like someone wearing a mask with a swastika on it saying that the people forcing you to take the jab are the Nazis. And it's illegal to promote Nazi stuff and the swastika in Germany. So the law went after him. And he eventually won because he wasn't promoting Nazism. He was doing, you know, kind of satire or something. I mean, this is a thing I've you see online sometimes. People on the right want to call their enemies Nazis, just like people on the left. But if people in the left are in control of everything, then, you know, you don't, it, they're like, oh, you're not, you're not calling your enemies a Nazi. You're saying Nazism is good. The famous case of this was Gina Carano was an actress on the Disney Plus Star Wars TV show, The Mandalorian. And the star of that was Pedro Pascal. They were basically the two biggest characters of the first season. And she called the left Nazis on Twitter. And he called the right Nazis on Twitter, Trump supporters. And Disney fired her ass and promoted him. And she hasn't worked in mainstream stuff since. And he's going to be the star of the Marvel Fantastic Four movie coming up. I mean, you know the drill. But the guy in Germany, he... I think he was forced to spend a lot of money on a lawyer. I don't know, do they have free lawyers, like free healthcare in Germany? Anyways, he had to go through some terrible court case, but eventually they're like, yeah, you're not trying to recruit people to be new Nazis. And so the judge let him off. But so I knew that you can't go around with the swastika in Germany. Like, they don't have the First Amendment. They don't have free speech. Um, Stuff is illegal, especially Nazi stuff. But here's the thing I didn't know. You know, I thought that was just Germany made up those laws. That was an American law. America, Britain, and Russia took over Germany after World War II and Germany lost. And they put those laws into effect. And they're still there. And, you know, obviously, I don't know if it's obvious, the First Amendment does not apply to foreigners at all. In fact, our Constitution, nothing. You can do anything you want to a foreigner, pretty much. And we do. And in Germany, you also can't start a political party that's like the Nazis. And you can't vote for them. You know, democracy, what? Your ability to swing your democracy ends at my nose, or something. And so in the 50s, Germany outlawed a Nazi-ish party and a communist party, too. But since then, there is some... I think mildly popular Communist Party in Germany today. And then I think the number one or the number two party in Germany is the right-wing one. Like they went from not popular to popular, just like all across Europe is getting right-wing political parties getting more popular. And I think they're at 31% in the, the last time people checked. And there's talk, hey, can we dust off that old law where we outlawed political parties in the 50s and outlawed this one? Quit swinging your democracy around. So the farmer protests in Europe have been getting even bigger. They've done them in a bunch of countries, France, Netherlands, Germany. Now they're in Brussels. I think that's Luxembourg. The headquarters of the EU. 
And, you know, a little disappointing. I did see some violence. They were throwing eggs at the EU building. And then, apparently, they threw some rocks, too. I don't condone that. Go join a Black Lives Matter protest for that kind of shit. But the general public in the EU is on the farmer's side. Elections for the EU are coming in June. We'll see what happens. But maybe a month ago, I was talking about the right-wing party in Germany has a cuddly lesbian in charge of it now. She supports women's rights and abortion and lots of stuff. She's just kind of anti-immigration as well. But I was listening to someone. The far left in Germany has been taken over by a new woman also. I don't think she's a lesbian, but she's also anti-immigration. And so in America, left and right is anti-Trump, pro-Trump. You know, the left used to be against war, they're pro-war. A lot of, you know, they used to be against giving money to the rich. Joe Biden's given tons of money to the rich. And in Europe, I thought I had it figured out. It's real simple. It's just immigration pro-anti. But that's not exactly right. I don't know. I don't know what the difference between the, the far left and the far right in Germany is, since they're both anti-immigration. And sometimes it's economics, but like the right-wing government or the right-wing party in France is pro-socialism. They want to, you know, put more money into free health care for everyone and beef up their version of Social Security. But sometimes the best way to understand something is to just at least know what you don't know. But Germany had a far-left party. You know, over there they got many parties. It's not like America with just two. And I'm making up these numbers, but maybe the far left had like 15%. And then this lady came in, she started her new far left anti-immigration party. And she sucked maybe 13 of those percent away. So now like she's got like 13 and left the previous far left party that supports immigration with 2%. And again, we'll see if any of this stuff matters in, well, in June and then... Germany has some elections this year, and their big elections are in 25. I'm going to let you, dear listener, try and figure out European politics while I do it too. So I'm going to play a clip from EU Confidential from Politico. And Politico is super deep state. Like, they're, they're the... Someone, someone described them as, if you want to know what the American deep state thinks then go read Politico. Which I think means now that Democrats are the pro-war, pro-rich people party, then, you know, Politico is basically Democrats. So we're going to have to read between the lines with this guy. According to him, the farmers, it's a left-wing thing. It's a right-wing thing. The farmers, they just, they love organic too much. Or is that just the anecdote he chooses, and in fact it's all a bunch of right-wingers? Or something in between, you decide. Pretty impressive, the, the protest. I haven't seen anything this scale in front of the parliament for, for years. We've got farmers from all different parts of Europe, Spanish, Italian, Belgian, lots of Flemish farmers that have come down. The streets are totally rammed with their tractors. There's the smell of manure and straw strewn all over the streets. It's kind of a festive atmosphere, but also quite an angry atmosphere. Basically, the farmers are here because they, they are... They're pissed off. They want to direct their anger about economic difficulties they're in, the sense of over-regulation of their, of their agricultural activities. I spoke to one young Flemish farmer who's 26 years old, said he was called Brecht. 
and he said he wants to go organic. He wants to do what you know the EU is encouraging lots of farmers to do and grow organic uh, table grapes somewhere in Flanders. But he's been waiting for that permit for three years, so he's really pissed off. And it's interesting. There's a real kind of smorgasbord of political views here. Like we often talk about just farmers, right? But there's no such thing as just farmers. There are the left-wing farmers represented by Via Campesina who want to want to put an end to kind of liberal trade policies, which they they see as the kind of root of all evil. And then you've got lots of uh, more right-wing farmers. You've got the kind of classical farmers' unions like Calderetti from Italy, uh, Asaja from Spain. And they're out here in force. They're chanting things like "This is not the Europe that we want." And you, obviously, then you have MEPs stepping out of the Parliament, which is just here. We can, we're looking at it now, covered in smoke. And you know, you've got the Spanish left-wing MEP, far left. You know, you've got the Spanish far right. You've got Estonian far right. I've seen German far right people here. You know, the Belgian centrists. So yeah, it's been a really interesting day so far. And something else Politico mentions is. So the EU okayed the $55 billion for Ukraine, but that $55 billion is actually over a four-year period. It's probably front-loaded, or maybe it really means $12.5 billion per year unless you lose the war. So now when America passes its aid to Ukraine bill, which we will, I think it's $65 billion. Is it just one lump sum, or for a year, six months? Is it over four years? That's, that's what to look for. The CEOs of some of the big social media companies had to testify in front of Congress this week. I guess the headline was, in the audience, was a bunch of parents holding pictures of kids who committed suicide, they say, because of social media. And Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Facebook, Meta, got up and apologize to them kind of as a group i don't know if teen suicide is up a ton or in the past your teen committed suicide you didn't have anyone to blame Uh, it's pretty nice to have someone to blame maybe other than yourself i mean teen girls reporting that they're mentally ill is through the roof but are girls actually crazier than they used to be or is it just a fad to say that you're crazy I mean, I think it's similar to white girls in K through 12 saying that they're queer when they're not, or no more queer than girls ever have been. It gets you attention, it gets you clout. Or maybe if you tell kids that the country they're in is evil as hell because it's so racist and we're all going to die because of climate change, that makes you, you know, anxious. I mean, somehow conveniently, I'm not blaming anti-woke regardless. But the stuff that interests me is free speech online. So I'm always keeping an eye on, uh, we need to censor all the right-wing speech because of the children. But I don't think the stuff this week was about that. I mean, that's always waiting in the wings. But that's like a, oh, my my 14-year-old son is watching Ben Shapiro and now thinks that Donald Trump is okay. But this one, I think, you know, it's more about the girls. And I think they're talking about making kids verify... Verify that they're kids? Or making adults verify that they're adults? So that you can put more controls on the kids who... Basically, making it so the social media can tell who's a kid and who's an adult better, I think. And it seemed like it just depended on whether or not you're 
social media company was making all of its money off of kids or adults was how the CEOs fell. Like TikTok, that's all about the kids. They're like, oh no, don't be making us do this. And then Twitter, which is mostly adults, is like, yeah, yeah, we need to really crack down on letting kids do stuff online. I mean, I love Twitter because of free speech and Elon Musk, but Twitter would love if TikTok was forced out of business, then they could, you know, they could get maybe a quarter of all the kids from TikTok who have nowhere to go to come over to Twitter. I mean, that's a bunch of speculation, but that's how it seemed to me. I mean, Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram, I think Facebook is for adults. It is. It's not for kids, um, or kids don't like it. Instagram, maybe is for kids. I don't know if it's for kids. I think it's for 20-year-olds, so they're okay. TikTok is for kids, and it's owned by a Chinese company, so they're always terrified. And then the CEOs of Snapchat and Discord were there. Like, maybe Snapchat has been famous enough for Congress to want to harangue them for a while, but I didn't know, you know, it's a sign that you've made it, I guess. Discord uh, is big enough that people want to yell at them now. And I've used Discord because if you want to like make a free artificial intelligence song, you have to have a Discord account. A lot of AI companies run their stuff through Discord. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't know anything about Discord. And even though I've spent a few hours on Discord, I still don't, I still don't know what it is. I mean, like, Twitter's symbol is a bird, and Facebook's symbol is a little F. Discord's symbol is like a game controller, so it's for gamers? Maybe for young gamers? Boys? And then Snapchat, I thought they were for kids. I think that's where, if you want to sell, you know, if you're in middle school and you want to sell drugs, you make the deal over Snapchat, and then the Anything you talk about instantly or automatically disappears after 24 hours or something. I think that's Snapchat. I mean, I only know the bad things on Snapchat. Drug deals, I think, you know, underage sexting. Those flash mob robberies or a whole bunch of younger African Americans get together and run into a Nordstrom's and grab a bunch of stuff. But the CEO of Snap was like, yeah, we need tighter controls, so... I don't know, I don't know if he's like TikTok with the kids or he's like Facebook with the adults, I don't know. And last week I was talking about how Facebook was de-emphasizing news, which then meant people on Facebook were not clicking on news articles and going to media websites, and then those media websites are, you know, laying off workers or shutting down entirely, or being turned into a tab on some parent website. And so I'm trying to get a mental timeline of what happened. But basically, social media turned all the news outlets woke, made them be nothing but Trump derangement and false accusations of racism. And then after social media did that, it put them all out of business. I mean, not yet, but maybe in a few years, We'll look back, and that's the story we'll tell. And Twitter has become... They were the one that made everyone go woke the most, and now they're the anti-woke one. A court 
just said that Elon Musk can't get his $58 billion package from Tesla stock. And the whole story's not over. See what happens. Hopefully he doesn't have to sell Twitter because of that. The richest person in the world is now the owner of Louis Vuitton. He's French. But the media outlets got woke. That's what I would say. And other times, or other people would say, oh, they became a mouthpiece for the Democratic Party. And I'd be like, nah, they're just woke. But I've been rethinking that. Because there's a lot of things where being woke and being a, or you know, support the Democratic Party position are not the same. For instance, like teachers' unions. Like, you know, if you want young black kids to get a good education instead of their failing schools, then your enemy is the teachers' unions. I mean, most people are not aware of that, but that is the case. And so the woke media is like, we support the Democratic Party, we support teachers' unions. They're not like, oh, we need to fix the schools for the black kids. Or maybe it's not that they're woke, it's not that they're a Democratic Party mouthpiece, maybe it's just that they're Trump deranged, and so... If you're Trump deranged, you're like, teachers' unions and Democratic Party are my friends, you know... I'll take them, I'll ride them as far as I can in my Trump derangement crusade. Or it's a mixture of ignorance and malice and etc. Slate Money was talking about Elon Musk having his 50 billion pay package at Tesla taken away. And this is by a judge at the Delaware Court of Chancellery. All the companies in America are incorporated in Delaware because they got such a good chancellery court. I mean, part of it is they just keep like that fancy name from the old days. Um, other states have courts that do the same stuff. They just don't use the fancy word chancellery. Well, that's not exactly right, but kind of right. I guess the news is, next step is he appeals it to the Delaware Supreme Court. They're going to uphold the judge. And then he said he's going to take his company and incorporate it in Texas. And Tesla and the shareholders actually love him. And if he can just get away from Delaware, they'll give him the money he wanted. And then Slate Money says, well, Delaware is going to see what he's doing, which would basically be saying, oh, you're going to do a, you're going to rule in a way I don't like Delaware? Well, I'll go to Texas and get a ruling that I do like, which then means your rulings don't mean anything, are meaningless. I've taken away all your power, Delaware which Delaware will not like. So Delaware will say, no, you can't move your company out of Delaware. We're going to make a ruling you don't like, and we're not going to let you leave. So that's the prediction, probably accurate. And the deal was something like, I will make Tesla shareholders $500 billion, but if I do that, I want you to give me $50 billion. And everyone in the world was like, Elon Musk is an idiot. He's going to be working for free because there's no way in hell he'll ever make him his... He'll make shareholders $500 billion. And then, of course, he pulled it off. So basically, like, you know, the, it was one shareholder with nine shares of Tesla stock that sued him, and that was the court case. And that one shareholder, if they held on to their shares, you know, made 10 times, 10, they 10x'd whatever, whatever they paid for their shares. I mean, everyone has made a ton of money. <laughs> Yeah, God damn it, you made me too much money. So the question is, you made me so much money in the past. 
I want to help you go to Texas and give you your money. Or, I'm sorry, I don't have to pay you now. Sorry. I mean, part of the reason why Tesla is worth so much money, well, it's a pretty good company, but also people believe in Elon Musk. Like, it has a premium of about 100%. About half of the value of Tesla is because it's a fancy company, and the other half is because people are like, this is Elon Musk and he's going places. So basically, he's worth every penny. And, like, by far. But here we go. Here's the woke part. What are some reasons to believe that this was politically motivated and, you know, basically, people with Trump derangement syndrome think that Elon Musk is on the right and they hate him and they just wanted to get him. You know, basically, the judge. She's Democrat-appointed. That doesn't prove anything. But it's the first time in the history of the Court of Chancellery in Delaware, probably hundreds of years, that they have ever taken away a CEO's pay. Now, it was the biggest pay package that has ever happened. So you could say, well, they did it because he's right-wing and they're woke. Or, you know, maybe eventually the courts are just going to get tired of rich people getting so rich. So, you know, maybe they did it because he's right-wing. Maybe they just did it because they're tired of people being so rich. And that's a couple kinds of wokeness. And then the other thing is, she mentioned... You know, why are you paying him so much? He's spending all his time working at Twitter. He's spending all his time promoting free speech in a way that would have made Trump the winner of the last election if he'd been doing it back then. And the judge laid out, like, there's three things you got to do to, I don't know, get a giant pay package. And it was just a hair away from getting it right. So I don't know, why couldn't they do a new deal, new package, which is like, uh, I'll make the, you know, if, if I make the stock go up $200 billion in the, in, you know, at any point in the next year, you give me $50 billion. And they do it all, and they, they dot that last little T that they didn't dot last time. And then he's like, okay, everyone, I quit. And the stock price would crash. And he'd go, well, I'm going to get $50 billion if I come back. I'm going back to Tesla. And the stock price would shoot up $200 billion. He's like, okay, there's your 50 bill. Farzad, F-A-R-Z-A-D, on YouTube had a lawyer on talking about the case. So let's run through some facts. Uh, their bias is, you should buy Tesla stock. But back in the day, Delaware was super pro-business. And that's why all corporations in America incorporated in Delaware. But it sounds like the state has been trending to the left as you head towards modern times. And so it may not be the business-friendly state it used to be. Sounds like Nevada and Texas are the states that want to be the new incorporate here. We're business-friendly states. So the judge is a Harvard white woman... I mean, everything demographically about her is that she's going to be on the left. Doesn't make it so, just saying. And it's the same judge who was hearing the Elon Musk Twitter trial like a year and a half ago, two years ago. And you just get a judge randomly assigned. It was never clear to me why she's the judge on this new Tesla Elon Musk trial if it's all part of the same trial, or she was randomly assigned twice, I don't know. But according to the guy I'm listening to, starting in that Twitter case, Elon Musk pissed her off 
she does not like Elon Musk. And the part of this case that may have just been personal opinion, her animosity towards Elon. So they're looking at, you know, is, is the amount of money Tesla's given Elon Musk too much? Is it, was it a fair deal? That's kind of the question. And then do you look at it innocent until proven guilty or guilty until proven innocent? To use some terms from, you know, other cases, a criminal case. And basically, normally, Elon Musk's side would be innocent until proven guilty, but she decided to flip that. She's like, this thing ain't fair. Elon Musk and Tesla, they need to prove that they're innocent. We're going to assume they're guilty, and it wasn't fair, unless they can prove otherwise. And then she's like, oh, you didn't prove otherwise, therefore it was unfair. And so this is a trial. She's a trial judge. It hasn't gone on appeal, you know. The final ruling hasn't happened, and then if once that happens, maybe it will be appealed above her. But basically, it kind of sets a precedent now, but not that much. If, it, if it's appealed and goes to the higher court and they uphold what she said, then that sets a precedent. And that precedent would be that every company, company incorporated in Delaware, when you look at their CEO payment packages, it's always guilty until proven innocent like that was the that was the interesting twist that she threw on this uh you gotta you gotta prove that your deal was fair and i'm gonna assume it isn't anyways and then that will be applied to every company and then you know basically every company you heard of in america and the ceo is like oh my god someone with nine shares can sue me which basically you know if you if you think ceos are overpaid which there's people who think that you just sue every single CEO in America and chaos. And so I don't think that's going to happen, but how is that prevented is what we'll be looking at going forward. Is every company leaving Delaware and going to Texas because you can't trust Delaware? Or the Delaware Appeals Court has to finagle their ruling so that you don't look at it the way she did? Or it only applies to Elon? I mean, you know, that would be an easy thing. And so we can just watch and see what happens. And then I'm trying to notice my bias. I'm a 2010 liberal. I think, you know, I'm on the side of the workers, not the CEOs. I don't hate the CEOs like woke people do. If there's a deal which is every worker gets an extra dollar and then the CEO gets a trillion dollars, I would be like, well, as long as every worker gets an extra dollar. Whereas woke people are like, uh uh, don't be giving those CEOs a trillion dollars. But anyways, that's my excuse. That sounds good, defensible, etc. But I think I'm just biased towards Elon Musk. And so I I don't think I'm being I don't think I'm really being rational. And that's how hyper rational I am. When I'm not rational, I try and point it out to myself. So I went and looked up how this judge got assigned to the Elon Twitter case. As the chief justice of whatever court. She gets to assign herself if she wants, and so she made herself the judge. There was a quote on the internet from her teacher saying something like, she does not tolerate injustice. So I don't know for sure, but I imagine she assigned herself the Elon Tesla case too. Uh, if Trump incorporated any of his businesses in Delaware, I bet she would, she would assign herself to those court cases also. It sounds like she's going to make the world a better place, whether she needs to 
throw the law in the trash or not. And I want to remind myself what happened with Twitter, because it's kind of funny. So I'm going to round off numbers very grossly. But a couple years ago, Twitter was worth $30 billion. Elon Musk said, I want to buy it. I'll give you 40 Twitter said, screw you. We just rigged the election and got Biden into the White House. You know, we don't, instead, we don't want money. We're, we're happy doing what we're doing. You know, there's another election coming. We want to interfere with that one too. But then interest rates changed and the stock market crashed. And I think like Facebook, Google, maybe Amazon, Microsoft, all those companies got their stock prices cut in half. And basically the same thing would have happened to Twitter. So right, Twitter was worth 30, Elon offered 40, stock market crashes, so Twitter was 30, it'd be worth about 15. And Twitter is like, well, you know what? Rigging elections is fun, but you know what else would be fun? Making Elon Musk pay 40 billion for something that's only worth 15. So Twitter took Elon to court to make him you know, he he said he would buy it and to make him fulfill it. He was trying to he was trying to walk away. And it was going to go to a court case, but then that lady assigned herself as the judge and Elon could see that he was going to lose. She was going to make him buy it. So he just bought it. So Twitter tried to screw him over. She tried to screw him over. As far as money goes, normally money talks. They did screw him over. He lost tens of billions of dollars, but he ended up owning Twitter. And who knows if he could have actually gotten it without all that, because all the stocks came roaring back soon thereafter. And now Twitter has shifted right wing. All the mainstream media outlets are going out of business. The FBI can rig the election on all the social media companies, except for one, which may be the same as they can't rig it anymore. So maybe this judge's Trump derangement got Trump reelected. And then maybe all the companies are going to leave Delaware and go to Texas and be even more capitalist. You know, sometimes you're just waiting for your enemy to screw up sometimes. Maybe with enemies like her, Elon doesn't need friends. Elon Musk went to a movie premiere with Nelson Peltz and Peltz's daughter. Nelson Peltz is the billionaire who's trying to take over Disney and turn it anti-woke. And maybe Elon's talking about buying Disney or something. This is all happening right before I'm publishing the podcast, so I'll talk about it next week if it's interesting. But Peltz is a Jewish billionaire, and his daughter may be the hottest woman on the planet. And her name is Nicola Peltz Beckham, and she's married to the son of David Beckham, and Victoria Posh Spice, who I'm sure is a millionaire, or maybe they're even a hundred millionaires. But I would keep his wife away from Elon Musk. Let's look at the wars. Israel Hamas is still talking about a ceasefire at some point. The number of rockets that Hamas has been shooting into Israel is way down. They're shooting barely any rockets, so... I guess the pounding has gone on long enough to kind of tamp down the rocket shooting. And I think Israel's getting tired of this part of the war. They need an out. I've heard people say what they need to do is find like 
maybe the the leader of Hamas, if they could kill like the the absolute top dog of Hamas in Gaza, or maybe I think right below him is the guy who was in charge of the military part of Hamas. If they could kill one of those two guys, that might be good enough for them to say, ah, our operation was a success. And it is believed that all those high up guys are in tunnels in Han Yunus, which is a smaller town south of Gaza City, where currently Israel is fighting on the surface and Hamas is fighting underground. So we may be getting somewhere. And then this week, the Israeli Defense Forces released some video footage of water pipes. They're flooding the tunnels with seawater. And the IDF said, well, normally we wouldn't flood the water or the tunnels with seawater because it would contaminate the, you know, the well water, the drinking water, making Gaza a place you can't live because there's no water. But we found a way around that. We, we found a safe way to flood the tunnels with seawater. So hopefully they don't make a mistake because otherwise maybe no one can live in Gaza and the Palestinians will all have to leave. Oh, and three, I believe, army reservists got killed in the Middle East last week. It was three black soldiers from Georgia. They weren't like, you know, 18 to 20 years old. They were a little older because they were reservists. At least I think they were. Well, we appreciate their service and rest in peace. And maybe this means stuff between America and Iran is heating up. It's the Iran proxies that America has been fighting. And I think, like, the main proxy that did it was, like, they put it on an announcement saying, we're not going to attack America anymore. Basically saying, whoops, we didn't know that drone was going to get through. Please don't bomb us too hard. And I think currently we're planning on not bombing them too hard. And Iran, like, they normally have their Iranian guard soldiers in Iraq and in Syria and in other countries training people and whipping them up into a frenzy and coordinating attacks on America. Anyways, Iran pulled all their soldiers back to within the borders of Iran because America generally feels comfortable about killing them in Iraq or Syria, but we don't want to kill them when they're in Iran. Basically, people are afraid what America's going to do. We'll see. It doesn't look like America's going to do much because we don't want to set off a giant full-on war with Iran right before an election. And Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense, is back. That was the diversity hire who couldn't be found for four days while the second-in-command was on vacation in Puerto Rico. He was a black guy. She was a woman. I think they're both diversity hires. I don't know how far down the chain of command you have to go for the Department of Defense where it's all diversity hires. And apparently diversity hires that don't want to do their job. War is hard. And the Ukraine war, nothing going on with the war itself. But the European Union passed their $55 billion aid package, which is, what is it? Ukraine has enough weapons to keep fighting, but the government and all the teachers and the firefighters and the cops and the blah blah, all their salaries are paid for by America and the EU. So anyways, they will keep getting their paychecks for a while, and we're waiting on... America is supposed to kick in $60 billion to pay for their stuff, too. 
but that's held up on the the border border crisis ukraine funding it's all tied together waiting on that i mean politicians absolute favorite thing is to spend money on war stuff so it's gonna pass we just don't know how when where why who who's gonna win woke versus anti-woke there's another way of saying that women versus men blacks versus whites palestinians versus jews or is it really white women versus white asian and jewish men and maybe even black men or maybe black men are already there and we're all joining them i mean what happens if you have a civil rights movement but it doesn't culminate in the burning down of the oppressed person's neighborhoods by those very same oppressed people. Like you'll hear, fill in the blank oppressed group has to work twice as hard as white men to, you know, get where they got. But that ain't true. But this new oppressed group and the woke versus anti-woke is going to be the one that does show up on time for work more often works longer hours, is more productive for each hour they are there, and stays focused on completing the task and not bringing the workplace down from the inside. There's accelerationists on the left and on the right. You love Marxism? Well, maybe you want to press fast forward on society and get us through all the terrible things to the communist utopia on the other side. Or you think capitalism is the answer? Well, you also want to press fast forward on society's destruction and get to the capitalist utopia on the other side. Fast forward through the socialist destruction of society or the capitalist destruction of society. You know, pick your flavor. But either way, victory requires the opposing side to go too far, overextend themselves, and then crash and burn. Here's some extra content from an old episode for the truckers. It's about Japan. Twitter handle, at Religion of Woke. I think we could learn a lot from Japan about food. They could probably learn a lot from us about being woke, I guess. I'm not sure what they could learn from us. So I'm watching a YouTube channel called Paolo from Tokyo. Um... Two and a half million subscribers. Pretty popular channel. I guess his name is Paolo, so he must be, uh, I don't know, it's like a Brazilian guy or something, who lives in Japan. And I don't know if all his videos are like this, but I've been watching just one after the other of Day in the Life of a Blank. And it'll be like, like the one I'm watching right now is Day in the Life of a Japanese Casino Worker. You know, and I watched one of a hotel worker and one of a, a beef rancher and whatever it's all it's the japanese versions of all these jobs and you can the videos start with you know them waking up in the morning and then they go to work and then they go to bed and so it just it gives you the day in the life of that person and you learn fun facts about japan so first off i love japanese stuff i i don't watch as much anime as i used to but i mean i've watched more anime than whatever anyone any adult man maybe some teen girl can beat me out but i doubt it but i'm gonna say a racist word here because but it's too bad i wish it wasn't racist i look up i looked up 
on the internet is Japs, you know, Jap or Japs, is that racist? And I guess it is. But, like, like what I want to say is I fucking love Jap stuff. Sorry for cursing. But, yeah, let's get rid of both. Let's get rid of all those bad words. I love Japanese stuff. They're awesome. They're, they're so... Whatever. They're not the same as other countries. They're interesting. And they produce a lot of cool, um, you know, basically comic books and cartoons that uh, I can watch. And they got a lot of good food. I mean, like, if I was a millionaire, I think I'd be eating sushi. Like, that would probably be my number one thing to eat. Good sushi, which is incredibly expensive, is incredibly tasty to me. Alright, so the first fun fact that I've noticed from several of these videos is that, like, when people get off work at the end of the day, you know, quitting time, the co-workers go out to, like, a restaurant and, and they eat together, whatever. They drink beer and whatnot, and they eat food together as co-workers for dinner. I'm sure if you're old and you got a family, maybe you don't always go. Although I've seen some of the some of the people who are like, whatever, fathers and husbands, and they still go. But here's the interesting fun fact about it, is that, at least these people I'm watching, these people are in Tokyo. And Tokyo, right, is, I think it might be the biggest, densest city in the world. If it ain't number one, it's up there. And so it's very expensive to live there, and people live in very small little apartments, basically. Apartments that are not fit for having people over for dinner. Like, in America, you're like, Hey, everyone, come on over to my house for dinner. Anyways, that's not what they do in Japan. They ain't got no room. So what they do is they go out to a restaurant. And, you know, and I, I think a lot of these, they do it like six nights a week. You know, if you got no dining room at all, I think you end up going to restaurants like more than even... West Coast uh, frou-frou uh, woke elites, you know, in the coastal cities who go out to eat. Like, just your average Jap Japanese person is just going out to eat all the time. They ain't got no space at their house. And so the interesting thing about it is, like, like one of them... Well, anyway, they had a, this cosplay girl. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Japan is famous for having, like, introverted people. Like, they're very formal. They're not... Whatever. They're not wild and crazy like Americans. And a lot of them are introverted. Um... But the thing is, is they're introverts who go out to eat dinner with their friends every night. So, introvert means something different in Japan. I think if you got no job, then you stay home and play video games and never see a single person. But if you got a job as an introvert, you're still out hanging out. Pretty cool. Alright, so one of these guys is this Japanese casino worker guy. And so, in Japan, they got these, you know, they're like gambling... Well, they got casinos. They got casinos. Like, I don't know. It depends on where you live in America. You don't have a lot of casinos. But in Japan, they got this weird thing going where gambling is illegal. <laughs> and yet, they got tons of casinos. So, like, you know, there's this giant... And they, they play this game like Pachinko. You probably heard of it or you have to look it up. They, but anyways, they got, they got like slot, slot machines and they got Pachinko. So, they got... American-style gambling, and then they got this thing called Pachinko, which is, uh, I don't know, I guess a bunch of steel balls that fall through a thing, and you collect them, like, you know, I think the slot machine gives you a bunch of, like, gold coins, you know, tokens, they're not made out of gold, and the Pachinko thing, it gives you a bunch of steel balls, so you just build up a big bunch of steel balls that you can trade in. But like I say, gambling for money is illegal in Japan, 
So they got like these rooms where you trade in your uh, gold coins or go, you know your tokens or your balls. And it kind of looks like, you know, like an American fair where you're like, like a shooting gallery and you win like a giant stuffed animal. Like they got a room that's like that, you know, except for it's fancier stuff, you know, like win a three day va- or whatever. You can buy a three day vacation with your balls or, you know, to, or whatever you can buy. You can buy adult stuff that's worth a lot of money. But long story short, how do they really get around this uh, thing is that one of the things you can buy is tiny little gold ingot coin things. And so every casino has a place next door that will give you cash for gold. So you just buy gold with your balls, and then you trade the gold for uh, cash next door. I don't know. I'm probably not going to have any anti-woke stuff to add to this, but um, I'll just give you a real short summary of each one that I watch. Uh, So one of them was uh, a Wagyu beef farmer. You probably heard of it maybe as Kobe beef. Anyways, like Japan, for whatever reason, has the best cows that produce the best steaks in the world like you can buy you know you can have it shipped to your door frozen from various like internet companies and it costs like 150 dollars a pound and it's amazing but anyways they, they follow this farmer rancher i guess he's well, farmer or rancher around and that is the place where he works they got um 700 head of cattle and i don't know they said how big the ranch is and they they say it's in it's in square meters like, it's not in acres or square miles. It's in square meters. So, anyway, somehow they get a bunch of cows into a teeny little area, and then they raise them. It's not like America. The cows do not go out and eat grass. I think for the Wagyu Kobe beef, uh, you don't want to move them around too much. It makes them tough anyways. And then another another one was a cosplay worker. Uh, cosplay stands for costume play. They love English words. Uh, and so she just, whatever, she's 20 years old, she's smoking hot, you know, if you like Japanese girls, she's super smoking hot, and she dresses up as various things, she does costume play, and then like, her day starts at, she wakes up at noon or something, she goes and does a photo shoot for some professional photographer, which apparently pays her money, or maybe he's just a perv, wasn't clear, although he did have a very fancy studio with a lot of lights. And then at night, she does like a live stream where she dresses up as a whatever and uh, whatever. Her fans give her money and she talks to them for a couple hours. Like in America, that would be a girl taking off her clothes. It'd be kind of like a, well, whatever. It'd be live porn is what it would be. But apparently in Japan, if you're hot, I don't know. Actually, I don't know. I was going to say, if you're hot enough, I have no idea. Maybe in Japan, you can't do live porn. But anyways, she doesn't have to take off her clothes. But she basically does what like a live porno person would do, which is just sit there and look pretty, and uh, fans pay her money, but she doesn't have to take off her clothes. And, you know, maybe as she gets older, she has to dress sexier. I mean, doesn't even have a low-cut blouse or nothing. All right, I can get some identity politics into this. Um, these people in Japan, they are like, whatever, like they would fall on their sword if it would help the customer. I mean, their customer service is off the charts. I don't think any country can, you know, even hold a candle to them. It's like, you know, if you're a, if you're someone who gambles a million dollars a day and you go to, into a Vegas hotel and everyone's real nice to you, well, like, that's how Japan, you know, down to the plumber, street sweeper, convenience store worker, that's how they treat everyone. Just customer service is just insanely important there. But I've heard stories, like, they don't normally allow immigrants in, but they have allowed some Chinese immigrants in lately. 
And a lot of times the Chinese immigrants get jobs at the Kobini. Like Japan has these convenience stores. They're like the greatest stores in the universe. They're just so amazing. Uh, whatever. That's where you know, everyone gets their food from these Kobinis. Like I think they're cheap and everything is like fresh and wonderful. Whatever. America's got nothing like them. It's not like a piece of crap 7-Eleven or whatever. But anyways, even these, you know, convenience stores have like the greatest customer service in the world. Except that now they got Chinese people working there. And uh, it's funny, like when I was younger, before I knew any better, before I started watching YouTube videos about various Asian countries, I figured China was like Japan, just like super formal, super polite, super uh, whatever, doing stuff that the way that they do it. And that's not true. Chinese people are super rude. I was talking to my buddy. I said that to my buddy, and he's like, oh yeah, I went to some giant, whatever, Asian supermarket in America, and some Chinese lady just kind of was just was pushing her cart, and then she let go of her cart, and the cart like slammed in the back of his Achilles tendons. And he looked back like, what the heck? And she just wasn't even paying attention, didn't give enough. And I had another buddy whose job, he was like importing stuff from China. Like he was, he was a businessman who imported manufactured stuff from China to America. And you think like, you know, he's rich. This is, and this is probably 15 years ago. So he was going over there. He was like totally rich compared to the Chinese people. He hated it. He hated going to China. All right. And here's another thing I didn't know. In Japan, they still smoke cigarettes. So they're a little bit backwards on that one. Japan just passed a law in 2020 where you can't like smoke in public spaces, which, you know, America's been, what, you can't do that in airplanes probably 25 years. You can't do that in most places 15 years. I think bars maybe the last 10 years. But in Japan, I mean, they're smarter. It's just a smarter breed of a whatever country. And so they got special rooms. Like, you want to smoke indoors? They got special rooms with special, like, air filters. And then, oh, it's legal per the new law. Like, I don't know if in America... I don't think American laws even have a thing for that. Like, oh, it's actually safe? And I've seen some of them vaping also. So, whatever. They like smoking stuff. Hot chicks like smoking stuff. And I don't think they smoke weed at all. I'm watching Day in the Life of a Japanese Space Engineer. Um... That part doesn't matter, but basically it's him, his wife, and his kid. They live in an apartment in Tokyo. And she's an IT manager. Anyway, so like, you know. But they both work. They both work full-time jobs. And they got a little kid. And the kid goes to something like preschool, Japanese preschool. And I guess the point is, in Japan, it used to be that they had a saying, and I think they lived up to it, was that the man rules the household. But in fact, now, you know, this younger generation, this guy's 32, this younger generation is more like Americans, like, he's helping take care of the kid, you know, she's doing, well, she's not exactly uh, fixing the sink, but anyways, you get the idea. Either one of them could do either thing. Alright, so this kid, he's probably four, he's playing around and he's telling his parents how to eat breakfast, and it's because of this thing, you see it in anime all the time, but like, in Japan, they put kids you know all the way through high school i don't know college i don't know but anyways they put certain kids um in charge of the class like you know you got your teacher yes but you'll have a kid who's uh like the the president of the class and maybe there'll be even a, a vice president of the class like individual you know 30 person class anyways this kid uh apparently 
they cycle it through. When you're in preschool, you don't just get to be the president the whole time. It's not, you know, whoever gets the highest test scores or is the hottest or whatever. Um, they give every kid a chance. And so he loves it so much, he goes home and he tries to he tries to be the Otabansan, I think is what it's called. But it's interesting to watch Japanese cartoons. A lot of them take place in high school, and a lot of them have class presidents and, you know, various... Not sure how to say it, like, you know, devious power plays where someone's trying to take over the role and get them kicked out or whatever. Oh, yeah, politics. Class politics within a high school class. Something else I'm noticing is that Japanese men use electric razors, like the kind my grandpa had. Like, I swear to God, it seems like everyone uses a normal razor nowadays. Or maybe I just don't know people who have normal enough jobs. Hmm. Alright, and half of Japanese sleep on foldable mattresses, so you sleep, you know, it's on the floor. It's on the floor, you ain't, you ain't got no uh, bed frame or nothing. And then when you wake up, you fold it up and you put it in the closet. Save space, so basically your bedroom becomes your living room. And I'm way too old and fat to be getting up off the floor, that would, whatever. Every time I did that, I'd, I'd pay a, no, a dollar not to have to do it. All right, so how do you take your kids around? Um, every day in the life of a Japanese person so far, they got no car. They take the subway. They live in Tokyo, except for the rancher. And uh, he's got like, whatever. It's uh, He's got a four-door truck, but it's about the size of a teeny, teeny American car. But anyways, this space engineer guy, he doesn't have a car, but he has an electric bike. He has an electric bike with a booster seat in the back, and so that's how he takes his kid around. All right, so this engineer is going to lunch, uh, and he doesn't go to a, a combini convenience store. He goes to a supermarket. And I guess here's the thing that is just off the charts different between there and here is that they got, I think, I guess they're called bentos, but basically they've got just tons and tons of pre-prepared food of every sort and it's all high quality that we don't have you know like you know if you go into the grocery store in my town you know they got like uh maybe corn dogs this place is like they got sushi that's good sushi they got noodle stuff they got rice stuff whatever they just got it's like a restaurant basically their convenience stores and their supermarkets have as much food as a freaking restaurant. And it all looks so good. I mean, I can't taste it by watching the video, but man, it looks good. And I never lived in a big city since people really started getting like Grubhub or whatever it is where restaurants deliver food to your house. So maybe in Japan, it's kind of like you walk to, you know, no one has a car. You just walk to a place right, not, right down the street and you get your food that's like a restaurant as opposed to having them deliver it to your house because... I think the delivery people don't have cars either. So the engineer dad takes his bicycle to pick up the kid from nursery school. And then he takes the kid to some sort of after nursery school. It's like it's 6.30 at night and uh, the kid's learning math and Japanese. I guess that'd be like math and English here. So whatever. They got high priority on education over there. I probably Probably not a big surprise to anyone. I don't know why I keep talking about China. China just passed a law that said you can't make your kids take more than whatever, uh, whatever, outside-of-class prep work. 
you know, I think I had kids that are like, they're in class for seven hours, and then, oh, let's give them another six hours of class, if you're rich enough to afford it. So they passed a law against it. They also passed a law saying kids can't play more than one vi one hour of video games a year. Or, sorry, a day. One hour of video games a day. And then they just use their parents' account, apparently. And then if the government in China finds out about it, something bad might happen to you. Alright, so it's the end of the evening for this engineer and his family. And uh, the wife still cooks. I mean, he takes care of the kid in a way that I think Japanese men in the past would not have done. But she still cooks. And we get to see what she cooked. And she cooked something. It looks like it's like chicken breast. It's, you know, it's, it's in a pan that's baked. It's got like chicken breast, broccoli, and carrots. So that all sounds American. But where I think an American would throw in some potatoes, they throw in mushrooms. Those Japanese, I tell you, they just... You wanna, when you want to zig, they zag. And another thing about these crazy Japanese... Um, I mean, I don't know any young girls. Maybe, maybe I'm just so out of touch. But, like, there's, like, Japanese women, you know, 30-year-old women who play video games. I'm trying to think if I know any American women who are, like, in their early 30s. I don't think I do, but I have a feeling they do not play video games. And the cosplayer, who's, like, a 20-year-old Japanese girl, she plays video games. It's kind of like, you know, you meet a girl, and she's like, I love watching sports on TV. And you're like, oh, my God, I found the one. Well, apparently in Japan, every girl is the one, because they love video games. Of course, I don't play video games. Whatever. The Japanese girls, like, turn me down. Be like, what? You don't play video games, you pussy? Alright, so in Japan, they don't tip. And they go out for dinner all the time, and they drink a lot. They like their alcohol. You know, some of them drinking beer, I'm thinking, some of them drinking, like, frou-frou. Oh boy, these are all men. Anyways, drinking, uh, you know, fruity cocktails. And anyways, in their culture, at the end, however much you ate, however much you drank, you guys all split the tab equally. Do you think in America, that's kind of how we do it? Mm, you know, depends on how flush you're feeling. Sometimes you do it that way. Sometimes you're like, uh, you, you drank seven times as much as me. You pay more. And so the cosplay girl, like, she was staying up till, I don't know what, 4 a.m. But almost every one of these Japanese dudes, you know, day in their life of doing their job, um, they stay up till midnight. I don't know what the average American does. Like, I'm an early to bed, early to rise guy, but midnight. That might be normal in America, or I feel like we go to bed a little earlier. Of course, these guys are usually in there. Most of these Japanese guys we're looking at here are like... 25 to 35, so maybe you stay up later then. So now I'm watching a day in the life of a Japanese firefighter, and he starts his day off with instant coffee. Boy, I haven't seen anyone do that in years. So the firefighter, like a bunch of these other salarymen, so in Japan they call you a salaryman. I think I think they say it like in English, probably like salaryman or something. But anyways, that means you're just a worker, you know, a guy who works, a man who works. Anyways, a lot of these salarymen, um, they put on a suit, a suit and tie, to go to work. And, like, you know, their job has some other completely different uniform. But they put on a suit and tie for the 10 to 30 minutes it takes for them to get to work. I mean, they don't mess around. That is very, very professional. Like, you know, are you going to go to your job and slack off and take a nap and steal stuff? 
when you put on a suit and tie before you go there, I think it's going to reduce a lot of that, whatever, malingering stuff. In fact, that would be a good, like, right there, you're getting yourself a higher quality of worker. Like in America, you know, how many workers, I mean, I couldn't do it. But anyways, how many workers could come up with a suit and tie and wear it and put it on and go to work? Uh, only the absolute cream of the crop. I mean, boy, you know, if I can get a t-shirt on that's not inside out, that's about all I can do. All right, so to be a firefighter, you do a one-year program after high school. And so I'm starting to notice this. Like the guy who's a rancher, he did like a two-year whatever, taking care of cows program after high school. So it sounds like you don't just get a general, you know, worthless degree in English that takes four years. They got school after high school, but it's more focused on the thing you're going to be doing. Now, I don't know about like the engineer or whatever, but and the cosplay girl, she probably didn't do nothing except for just be smoking hot. Actually, what she did before, I think it was when she was in high school, she was a idol. So I don't know if you ever heard, but in, in Japan, they got things called idols. They love American words. So yes, the word is idol. And it's just like young girl groups and boy groups. Yeah, that's right. It doesn't matter. Young people groups that sing and dance. And like Korean groups, Korean idol groups now, uh, it's called K-pop. And uh, people in America listen to them. It's kind of like... Um, New Kids on the Block or Backstreet Boys or whatever. But they really, really love their crappy pop in these Asian countries. And they have tons and tons of these idol groups. Alright, the firefighter goes to bed at 10 p.m. And he considers that early. He's like, you know, I'm a firefighter. Lives are depending on me. I gotta go to bed early so I'm ready for the day. So, anyways, in Japan, going to bed at 10, which is what I used to do, that's considered going to bed real early. All right, let's get a little uh, anti-woke here. So in Japan, to be a firefighter, like it's a good job. And they basically give you the equivalent of an IQ test. Like, you know, if you want to get in there, if you want to make a, a promotion, etc., it's IQ test. I don't see them like, you know, can you bench press 100 pounds? What I see is a bunch of IQ tests. Which makes me think of some city. I forget if it's Philadelphia, someplace back east. Um, they're like firefighter tests are racist it's like black people are not passing these tests to get into the firefighter job they're not passing the tests to make the next ranking i don't know if they ever scrapped the tests or not but anyways in america obviously there's a racial aspect to that whole situation all right this just makes me want to talk about firefighters in america i had a buddy whose neighbor across the street was a bunch of firefighters like whatever first year firefighters or whatever early people had just become firefighters and it was this house that had maybe three men who lived there i guess they were roommates or whatever they were all firefighters and they were all like super rocked i mean you know were they taking steroids i would say yes but maybe not and they were just like physical specimens they all had kind of like military style haircuts and uh anyways being a firefighter this is in a big city. Apparently has some sort of cultural things going on where you're supposed to be rocked and uh I don't know, look like a look like a cop, look like an army guy. The other thing I'll say about firefighters is like they're kind of going away. I mean, there may be a day when there's just barely any firefighters in existence, and the reason why is because of um electrical codes. Like most most of the time when a building burns down or a house burns down, it's caused by a problem with the electrical system, you know, like the wiring 
in your house. And I'm not sure when they really started clamping down on construction stuff. I think it was like in the 70s. Like it used to be you didn't have to insulate your house and it could be cold as heck, you know, during the winter. But anyway, somewhere in like the mid-70s to the early 80s, they started doing a lot of different building codes. And included in that was a better electrical. Electrical that will not burn the house down. So, as time has gone by since then, ever so slowly, the houses that are going to burn down have been burned down. And we're being left with houses that will never burn down because they got good electrical. And then it's like, do you really want to pay a bunch of money for firefighters that you don't need? And the answer is people love firefighters. They hate cops. But eventually, they get tired of paying for firefighters too. So it's kind of a dying breed. I mean, if you're in a big enough city, they'll always have them, but... A lot of small towns, they don't have no fire department anymore. And especially no, like, paid firefighters. They have volunteer ones. Alright, so I'm, gonna watch it. I'm watching a bunch of these Japanese firefighting training things. Like, you know, if you're a firefighter, and there's no fire that day, which is basically every day, what do you do? Well, these Japanese firefighters train all day long. And let me tell you, they are trained way better. I don't, I don't care how much our American firefighters train. These guys are more trained. Holy crap. They go the extra mile and just train, 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 train in weird-ass things you'd never think. They got like a weird crab walk where it's like they're pretending like the smoke is obscures all vision um, except for the bottom foot of the, like the hallway. I mean, they got some weird stuff. All right, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, but in Japan, the number one cause of fires is smoking, so that sounds right. And number two is arson. Alright, so the Japanese are just copying American firefighting, which is fine. But this is, okay, There's I think there's two reasons why being a firefighter is so awesome. First off, obviously, the chicks dig it. The, sec the second thing is, is like, they do 24-hour shifts, and they get paid for the whole 24 hours. And in, included in that shift is your sleep. You get paid to sleep. Like, if you're a nurse... They don't give you a 24-hour shift where you get to sleep. You know, they give you a 12-hour shift, and they send you home. You can sleep all you want there. And then another nurse comes in and works 12 hours in the middle of the night. Firefighters got it good. Like, what other job pays you to sleep? I almost can't think of a single one. Well, that's the end of the podcast. There's some links in the description, and thanks for listening.